Welcome back. We want to thank you all so much for listening. We wanted to just share uh, some feedback that we got from our listeners that really inspires us to continue doing what we do. We're going to read two reviews. We also have received some beautiful emails and I have received personal messages on my Instagram and I know Ida has too. And it means so much to us. These reviews are great because people get to see what our podcast is about and how you feel listening to our podcast. So leaving a review means a lot to us. So yeah, let's go ahead and read to them. So here we go. Um, here's one. Rivka and Ida have a natural flow in conversation and we're both so inspiring, informative and relatable. Thank you for the practical tips on mental health, physical wellness and spiritual connection to get us through these chaotic times. Thank you, Hannah, for that feedback. I'll read another one here. Great conversations and tips. I love the fluid and warm conversation between the two hosts. They both work so well together and bring so much insight and experience to the table. I love the lightness, but also authenticity of the show. It's my go-to podcast when I want to feel uplifted. Thank you. That means so much. I actually do agree with her that we work well together and I very much value and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, this was was such a serendipitous journey. You know, I don't think that either of us thought that we would end up here today. And this is just a testament to, you know, one small action making a huge difference because it really started with a conversation. And then, but really it just, um, these are so heartwarming and please keep them coming. We love the feedback. And um, again, thank you. Amazing what one conversation can do and how powerful it can be. So I hope the conversation today does the same for everybody listening. Yes, agreed. And also I think that it can teach us to always remain open to opportunities um, that come your way, even if it's not something that you initially think is realistic, right? They say it always seems impossible until it's done. So just be open to new opportunities. You never know where they can lead you. Today, we're going to teach you five languages. Love languages. Yeah, love languages. And you might already be familiar with the five love languages. And if you are, this will serve as a a review and hopefully you'll discover new insights here. If you haven't heard of the five love languages, stay with us because this can really be life-changing. The love languages was introduced by Gary Chapman, a marriage counselor. The book, The Five Love Languages, has become a massive success with millions of copies sold and translated in 38 languages. And it continues to sell more copies every year. Not surprising. Not surprising. Someone had told me you must read this book. It was so enlightening and eye-opening and it really helps you redefine how you see your relationships, how you view your relationships with others. And when you understand your love language, you can change your relationships. So we're going to start by diving in. We're going to share the five love languages and then we're going to unpack them and share how you can implement them in your life today to build lasting and more meaningful relationships. With your spouse, with your children and with family members and with friends, with everybody really. Yeah. And it's funny because he originally created the five love languages because he worked with so many couples and he found that much of what they were coming in with much of the issues they had um, could be resolved just if they just understood each other's language. And yeah. I know there was there's an older version, a much older, more Me- binary you, version. You mean uh, men are from Mars, women yeah. are from Venus? Yeah, yeah. But that's also about understanding each other's language. But this is this kind of goes deeper. It's not yes. about man versus woman. It's about it's it's about our personalities and recognizing our personalities and our spouse's personalities or the people we love around us. Yeah. And then, and what our needs are. Um, Okay. So let's dive in. The first love language is words of affirmation. The love languages actually are not in any particular order, but in the chapters of the book, words of affirmation is first. So we're going to start with that. Right. And see which one, see which one you identify with. Um, And it could be more than one. Most people have one or two, but um, see the one that you can kind of relate to most. 
and then we'll yeah. take it from there. Okay. The truth is that I can relate to all of them and either I'm sure you can too, or most people I'm sure can relate to all five of them. Who wouldn't want all five love languages? But um, he does suggest to find your primary love language. Yeah. Let's go into it. So words of affirmation. Oh my gosh, by the way, this bird was chirping in our 5 a.m. club episode as well. Do you remember? I sure do. Is it a bird? Is it, is it a it's hawk? That, it's the same bird. I, I feel like I already have a family here between the squirrels and the birds. And now today I saw a peacock, like a mother peacock with its kids. There are ducks right there on the lake. It's, it's so pretty. It's pretty incredible. I'm, lear- I'm trying to learn their language, right? but I'm having a hard time. How do I tell this bird to fly to a different tree so that I can have this conversation? Okay, well, he, he may need some, or she needs some words of affirmation. So let's go into it. Okay. So words of affirmation is giving credit and praise. Verbal or written words of appreciation or compliments are powerful communicators of love for people who identify with words of affirmation as their love language. So words of affirmation are best expressed in simple, straightforward statements of affirmation. To our husbands, you could say like, you look sharp in that suit. Or a husband to a wife could say, you look beautiful in that dress. Or just things like, thanks for getting the babysitter tonight. Or I want you to know I don't take that for granted. Or I love how responsible you are. Or I feel like I can count on you. Things like that. Right. So a love Um, language. So if this is your love, if you're relating to what, was just said, if when somebody compliments you, that's when you feel that you're loved or vice versa. If you compliment another person and you see that they love it so much, and then you know that it's that's the love language that you're experiencing. Right. And a classic example of miscommunication in this would be if a wife has this love language and wants her husband to notice and compliment her and he doesn't, she might feel unloved or unappreciated, but that isn't necessarily true for him as it is for her. She just feels that way because that's her love language and that, that's what speaks to her. Right. No, it's true. Gary Chapman talks about a love tank. So if your love tank is empty, how are you going to fill it? When you fill it with your love language, then that's when you can really feel like you're in a wonderful relationship. But if, you're be- but it's, if it's being filled with a wrong love language, then it won't fill your tank. And then you might end up finding fault in your partner, friend, parent, just because there's an underlying communication issue that might just need to be resolved. Right. So compliments would be one aspect of words of affirmation. Another aspect would be encouraging words. So there's words of compliments, then there's also encouraging words. So our words will bolster their resolve if it's a desire that they have within them. If our spouse expresses some interest in something, then it gives us the opportunity to say words of encouragement. I'll, I'll give you an example of encouraging words. When you set your mind to something, you do it. Or that's one of the things I like about you. Encouragement requires empathy and seeing the world from your spouse's perspective. So we must first learn what is important to our spouse and only then can we give the encouragement. So we give the encouragement when we understand, okay, what is it that they actually want to do? If a spouse's love language is words of affirmation, these encouraging words will do wonders. Yes. Okay. So now okay. there's one more thing. Love is kind. If So it's the way we communicate, the way we say those words. If we want to communicate love verbally, we need to use kind words. It's also the way we speak. The same sentence can have two different meanings depending on how we say it right? The sentence I love you can be said with genuineness and love, or if you say it with a question mark, it changes the whole meaning of the word. So sometimes our words, yeah. So sometimes our words say one thing, but our tone says something else. Our words are usually received by our tone of the voice, not as much as the words we use. So, you know, we can share hurt and pain in a kind manner, and that would be an expression of love. 
that is a little summary of words of affirmation. Okay, so Ida, do you want to share the second one? Yes. So the second love language is quality time. If quality time is your love language, that means that to feel loved or to feel like your love tank is full, that requires undistracted time and a space for connection where you're engaging with each other and making sure that the person is feeling heard or that you're feeling heard. So that does not include having Netflix or phones in the background. It's really undivided attention. And Gary shares this example in the book where a couple comes in, the wife claims that her husband never spends quality time with her. And the husband completely disagrees. He says, what are you talking about? We always spend quality time together. And he tells her that she's being unreasonable, right? So who's telling the truth? Well, it turns out they're both telling the truth. They just have different love languages. They have different ideas of what quality time means. Why? Because it's her love language and not his. If quality time is your love language, chances are you enjoy things like having dinner, face-to-face contact with no phones present. You know, If it's not your love language, then you might be okay spending time with someone and let's say watching a movie or going out with friends or doing things that don't necessarily require that face-to-face undistracted connection. It's just interesting because I think that's why a lot of friendships might have miscommunication where one friend, how often do you hear one friend telling another, you know, we never talk. I wish we, we talked more, right? And the other friend says, what do you mean? We're so close. Do we really need to talk all the time to maintain a friendship. I remember reading in the book, Gary said he can tell the difference between a married couple and a dating couple in a restaurant. You had mentioned restaurant based on the level of engagement they have and how distracted they are. That's so true. And actually, I feel like that proves that a person can change their love language for the sake of their partner, spouse, family member, whoever. Because if if when you're dating, you're doing it, but then when you're married, you're no longer giving each other the undivided attention that you one or both of you crave, then you can look back to your dating life and say, well, wait a minute, I was able to do this once. Let me tap into that because yeah. it's so important to speak each other's language and to understand what you know each other's needs are. Well, he suggests giving each other, like once you're aware of that, give each other 20 minutes of undivided attention when you go out to the restaurant. Right. You know, just make a conscious effort to do that. Like before you go, be intentional about that. Quality over quantity is very important. So it's not about yeah. like spending a ton of time. It's about making sure that the time you spend is quality time. And I think Gary mentioned in the book, you know, to, it's okay to tell your your spouse or your partner or whoever, I, I really want to hear what you have to say. I really want to spend this time, but I need to get this thing done so that I can really be present. Um, yeah. It actually reminds me of Ruchi Fryer, who's a, a, a judge. She's actually the first orthodox female judge, an amazing woman. She came to speak at, at an event. Somebody yeah. asked her if uh, how, she, how she juggles being a parent and also having this full-time job, working for the government, all these things. So, And she said that when she's there, they know that she's fully present with no distractions. And I think that speaks to the importance of getting that time. And even if it's five minutes a day, you know, five minutes a day of undistracted time is better than hours of distracted time. So I think it's something. Totally. Yeah. So so quality time as a love language, if you identify with these things where you feel that, you know, watching a movie, let's say, for example, is not considered quality time for you. And that to be able to really fill your love tank, you have to be face to face with no distractions and really connect. Then this might be your love language. Yeah. And he actually shares a really, I like this tip for quality time. Ask your spouse five activities that he or she would like to do with you. Maybe you think being a movie is quality time, but they don't feel that way. So they're asking them five activities that they enjoy. Maybe it's going to the park. Maybe it's um, going for a walk on the beach. Maybe it's something else that you hadn't thought of. And by asking them that, that's also exciting to the spouse because they're like, oh, he's actually interested in what I want to do, what quality right. time is for me. 
Right. And I remember, Rifka, when we were talking about the book, you mentioned something that really stuck with me. And you said that sometimes if quality time is your love language, you can do something that you might not necessarily love doing, but that your spouse loves doing because quality time is not their love language. You could do something that they enjoy doing, but you get the quality time out of it and they get the enjoyment of the activity. So it's kind of like a way to compromise, you know, with the love language. I love that. Yeah. I'm doing something for my spouse because that's what they love. And then you realize, even though it's not my love language, I'm benefiting from it too. Right, right, exactly. Should we be expecting that when we work on our spouse's love language, we are going to receive in return? So if my love language is quality time, which it actually is, right? And my husband's love language is words of affirmation, which it is, by the way, right? So, you know, I want to make sure that my love tank is full. And at the same time, I know that if it's full, I will be much better equipped and vice versa, you know? So I feel like it's just a two-way street. And But if your love tank is full, then it's much easier to to It's much easier, but sometimes that's not possible. Like one person is initiating first for a while. Right. But if one person is initiating that, it's like you said, you know, earlier with words of encouragement, right? If that's their love language, they're more likely to, to love you back in your language. I think there's an element that we need to not have this thing, okay, I must get what I want back in return right now, or it's not necessarily going to work. Look, we have to expect that it might take time and um, just to do it for the sake of love. Yeah. And also you can't change another person. You can only influence them to change. Right. Yes. You can't necessarily change change someone, but you can influence them. Right. So the best way to influence them is by changing yourself. Yourself. Exactly. And how do you do that? By starting to to do the things that you know will enhance your relationships and your well-being in your life. So, so far, we've done words of affirmation and quality time. Right. Love language number three. Receiving gifts. As I was reading this book, it's very hard for me to choose a primary one because, uh, you know, I like all of them. I actually really enjoy giving gifts. I love picking a gift out for someone and really thinking about what they would enjoy. I also enjoy receiving gifts. For me, it's sentimental, you know, just that someone actually thought to give me a gift and it's meaningful to me, you know, even uh, right now I'm wearing this sweater. You had given it to me when we first started this whole podcast and I flew to you. It was a little chilly one night and you gave me this sweater and I've been living in it. I actually really do enjoy it. It's practical too. It's just the fact that I have a gift from a friend. It just means something to me, you know? A gift really is a symbol that someone thought of you and securing the gift and giving it as a visual symbol of love, like rings at a wedding. But it's not the value of the gift that matters. It's more just the gesture of the gift. Yeah. But to some people, maybe it is the value of the gift. Right. But I feel like if, so if it's your love language, then it's just the gesture of the gift that can fill your tank. I'm sure that if a husband comes home with a a gift from the gas station, I'm sure that won't have the same effect on, won't fill a love tank as much as if he comes home with a proper gift that he put thought into. So um, there is a difference. Well, the thing is, is that for some people, gifts is not their love language and the husband showers the wife with gifts and it's not really speaking to her. So the question is, is gifts really your love language, you know, or somebody, it is their love language and they're not receiving any gifts from their husband or their wife. One thing that um, I think is very important when it comes to kids, because kids also can have that love language, is there is that element of going overboard, right? So if if your kid's love language is gifts, it doesn't mean you have to spoil them with gifts. I mean, there's obviously some level of balance that you need to have when you're incorporating that into your relationship with your child. Um, Okay. So next love language is acts of service, which basically is, you know, helping out around the house, making coffee, um, you know, helping cook dinner, setting a table, etc. So being like helpful around the house is a good example of 
acts of service. And we see this love language very often in relationships. How often do you hear like a wife tells her husband, take out the garbage, right? And he doesn't do it for whatever reason. And she says, I asked you to do something. Why wouldn't you do it? Do you not value our relationship? And she gets resentful. If acts of service is not his love language and it is hers, that could be very hurtful to her. Whereas in another relationship, if a husband doesn't take out the garbage, it's no big deal. She'll just do it really quickly. You know, I think that has very much to do with love languages. And it's so interesting because, you know, acts of service is my primary love language. And, you know, a while back, my husband started clearing the table and putting the food away after dinner. And it meant so much. And when he did that, like, I feel like even he couldn't believe what a big difference it made. You know, he didn't do it because he knew about the love languages. He was just doing it because he thought it would be nice and helpful. It was so interesting reading the book. I kept thinking, this is people's way of showing love. And I realized it's because, you know, my parents had the, that love language. And very often we love in the language of our parents, you know? Either, um, well, it's interesting. Yeah. Very often we look for the things that we grew up with, like that is our love language. Or right. it's things that we were missing from our childhood that is our love language. It's the things that we were missing from our childhood or the things that we liked and we used to. You and I have the opposite, the same love languages, except the opposite with our spouses. Like my primary love language is words of affirmation and your husband's primary love language is words of affirmation. My husband's primary love language is acts of service and that's your primary love language. So we have the, op- the same, but the opposite. <laughs> so, so maybe maybe those love languages are attracted to each other, yeah, even in friends. That reminds me, Oprah asked Dr. Chapman, are there specific love languages that go well together in a relationship? And so he said, well, it's not necessarily a language in particular. It's whether or not you have the same language. So let's say if both of our languages are quality time, then we're much more likely to have an easier an easier time. I'm navigating. But yes. if my love language is number love language number one and yours is love language number five and they're very different from each other, then it'll be harder to navigate the relationship it is harder, for sure. But you can learn the other language. That's what he yeah, was saying. Like exactly. if people have the two same love languages, they're gonna have, of course they're gonna have an easier time because they understand each they other. They understand right? each other. Yeah. Right. But right. you and I have different love languages from our husbands and we have learned and we are still learning our spouse's love languages. That's the point of the whole book is for us to build relationships and and learn to understand each other's love languages. And also be okay to step out of our comfort zone a little bit because it's obviously going to be easier to love in our language. But that's where there are so many miscommunications because if we're, you know, in Perkevas, in Ethics of Our Fathers, it says to treat others the way you'd want to be treated. But really, it's about treating others the way you know they want to be treated. It's not the way you want to be treated, right? I want to be treated with acts of service but I'm not going to turn that around onto my spouse. I might do that, but I need to love my spouse, my mother, my father, my children, whoever, my friends in the way that they want to be loved, which requires really sometimes stepping out of your zone of comfort and doing something. Well, most times, most times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think now that as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, when you have a different love language to your spouse, it actually really helps you understand your children too. Because if you have this, if you, when you have the same love language, you're not really going out of your comfort zone, like you say, but when you are going out of your comfort zone to understand your spouse, it gets you to a place of doing that same thing with your children as well and seeing, oh, what is your love language? It might not be the same as mine. I've worked on this with my husband. I'm working on this with you too. Right. Especially when you have more than one child. Like, I mean, Rifka, you have eight. I'm sure that right. there's different love but languages going on. They all have different love languages. <laughs> I even see with my younger two little boys in the morning, they are just a year apart. I can tell my youngest one always comes to me wanting hugs. Um, Doobie, who's a year older than him, 
he just wants words. You know, I can just see he wants me to look at him and he wants words. And, and they're just a year apart and they're just two different kids with two different love languages. Right. And, and knowing that makes parenting so much simpler. You know that one needs a hug, another one needs words. Yeah. You're not going to give the one who needs words a hug. I mean, you're going to give right. him a hug, but you're going to make do, sure to focus on the things that... Yeah, but sometimes yeah. he doesn't want it. He just wants me to talk to him. So, yeah. yeah. I think if you're paying attention, you could figure out what their love language is. You know, if they light up well, when you compliment them, you know, you know, it's... Yeah. it's he says, look at how do they express their love to you and to other people? Like, do they hug other people? Do they hug you? Do they want to give their teachers gifts? Is that something that they like to do? Um, are they always wanting to help? Like, then you'll tap into if it's acts of service, if it's gifts, if it's um, physical right, that's touch. Right, right, that's right. Yep. And, and what do they request most often from you? When right. you like listen and tune into that, that's also a way to figure out their love language. Yeah. I like and, how you mentioned how they show love to others also, because that's right. something all, that you pay attention to as well. Yeah. Um, and what do they okay. complain about most often too? So that's another one also to tap into because yeah. their complaints okay. reveal, reveal what's in their heart. And last but not least is physical touch. And this is in no particular order. So physical touch is a way of communicating emotional love. So it can be any kind of touch, holding hands, hugging. And of the five senses, touch is the only one not limited to one part of the body. Isn't that cool? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, And very often you'll have a couple where one likes to hold hands and the other one prefers not to. And that really means that you know, maybe it's one per- one's love language and not so much the others. I actually like this line he writes in the book. If your spouse's primary love language is physical touch, nothing is more important than holding her as she cries. Oh, they just needed a good hug and that really yeah. can make everything better. Yeah. Hugs are Atten- underrated. Totally more important than words. Like the touch has to be in your partner's dialogue. So the same okay. way like we were discussing with quality time, that what within quality time means the most to you. Your husband may feel like we discussed, oh, the movie is it, but that's not really what does it for you. It's really about engaging on the couch or going for a walk on the beach. The same way with um, physical touch, don't make the mistake that the touch that means something to you means the same to your spouse. Oh, that's, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because, right, didn't he talk about dialects, like different ways of expressing the same language? So you need to find out from your spouse, like, don't assume that you know, is that what, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Let's say for you, it's the hug for your spouse. It may be something else. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Within physical touch. Yeah. So, okay. So those are the five love languages that it's important for you to first understand your love language in order for you to understand your spouse's love language. Right. So let's just list the love five languages again, just to summarize. So it's words of affirmation, quality time. Acts of service, gifts, yes. and physical touch. So those are the five love languages that Gary Chapman believed are the five primary ways that we show love toward the people around us and our relationships. So this is something right. that really that you can incorporate right now. Yeah. And I just wanted to add when I said that you should understand yours before you understand the love language of your, of your spouse, that you really to try and understand yours deeply. And in order to find that out, Um, ask yourself what makes you happiest or feel the most satisfied that you receive from your partner. That's one way to really tap into that. Like really, because it might be all of them, but there is one that, or two, there can be two primary languages that really speak to you. And also ask yourself what brings you pain that you feel you're missing in the relationship. So there's what makes you feel most satisfied and what brings you pain that you feel you're missing. And that will help you figure out which one your love language is. Right. And don't be afraid to communicate what your love language is so that other people can know that and you can be better understood by others. And you'll see like that can produce la- really long lasting results. So 
don't assume people just know what you're thinking and what you right. need. Um, speaking of knowing, I think that Rifka, you had of knowledge in the Hasidic dimension. Yes. Um, when we first were working on the five love languages, I was looking for a way to apply this to Hasidus. Like for sure, this applies to Hasidus somehow. And uh, I'm upstate in Parksville in a family colony. And my nephew is here, who happens to be the rabbi of Palm Beach Gardens, Rabbi David Vigla. And he had just done a talk on the five love languages and how it applies to our relationship with Hashem. Okay, so words of affirmation in relation to our relationship with Hashem would be praying, davening. Also within praying, we have expressions of gratitude when we say Ani, you know, the, ah. and the constant recital of words creates love. It creates a relationship with Hashem. I love that. And also that it's not just praying and begging for things from God. It's about creating a meaningful relationship with Hashem, which is what we're doing with our spouses as well. Right. So that's words. Right. Okay. So that's words of affirmation. Then there's quality time and quality time would be Shabbos. And it's really special that like when Gary Chapman talks about quality time, he says it should be phone free. And we have that on Shabbos with no distractions. So I And isn't that interesting good. how he specifies that for people who, if quality time is their love language, it's very much about undistracted time, which exactly yes. what Shabbos is. That's great. Gift would be tzedakah, giving charity towards something meaningful, you know, into making this world a better place. Yeah. Yeah. And also we, we mentioned gifts that don't have to be a specific monetary value which is, is also apropos here because giving gifts can also mean giving gifts of time, gifts of energy. It doesn't have to be gifts of a, don- a monetary donation. It could be any right. kind of gift, the thoughtfulness. Yeah. Um, and then acts of service would be the mitzvot in the Torah. Oh. These acts of service would be the ones that don't apply to words of affirmation or quality time. They don't necessarily make sense to us, but we do them out of love, like kosher, um, mikvah. We do it because that's what God wants. And um, that's kind of the same with our spouses too. Like sometimes it just does not make sense to us, but that is their love language and we're doing it out of love for them just because it's their love language. Right. Okay. So that's acts of services mitzvah. And then physical touch. So Judaism is focused on the physical, you know, on, at the sh- on Shabbat we have food and Chabad is very focused on taking the physical and elevating it, making right. it a dira batachtonim. That is all about physical touch. When I was speaking to Rabbi Vigla about this, um, we were differentiating between spirituality and holiness. So spirituality is, you know, it could just be music or it's wisdom. It's that on its own. It's not making it tangible, you know? Yeah. Spirituality is not tangible, whereas um, holiness is because you're taking that spirituality and making physical. I tend to be much more spiritual. Doing the mitzvah can sometimes be much harder, you know, actually making it practical. So it's really something, to, you know, for us to all keep in mind that love is spiritual unless we put that love into action. And that's doing the mitzvah. And the same applies to the love languages, because it's not just about knowing in theory what our love language is. It's, it's about putting it into action. And right. Making that's, it, and that's yeah, the hardest yeah. part. That's for sure. But it's definitely possible. And I think that we need to, we need to understand that sometimes things will be hard. And we could do hard things. I always tell that to my daughter to the point where she's like, oh my gosh, mommy, please don't say that again. (laughs) I keep saying you could do hard things. You could do hard things because it's true. We should believe that just because something is hard does not mean that we need to steer clear of it. On the contrary, if it's hard, that means that it's, it's calling on us to, to challenge ourselves because if we're not challenging ourselves, if we're not moving forward, then we're either stagnant or moving backward. Love is a verb. It's an action. You know, you have to put effort in to love and people often assume you either have love or you don't but it's something that you build and that you work on and that over time that's how it grows humans think differently and humans feel differently 
So if you can respect their thoughts and respect their feelings, even if you don't agree with them, and say, honey, I hear what you're saying, and it makes a lot of sense, because it'll make, it makes sense in their head, always in their head. If you listen long enough, you can honestly say, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Now, obviously we disagree on this. How can we solve the problem? And you spend your energy looking for a solution rather than spending your energy trying to win the argument. Uh, in a nutshell, I think that's what I'd say. We just chose a random little clip of something that he said, but it really applies to what we were just talking about, that not everything's perfect always and that it does take work. And um, it's really about respecting each other and understanding each other. But let us know if the five love languages spoke to you and your family, we'd love to hear. Yeah, and if there are any topics that you would like for us to cover, we are open to feedback and suggestions. Thank you for joining us. Until next time. See ya.